It started in the garage, probably about 40 feet or so from my truck. And he was about 50 feet further from me, heading my way at a pretty good clip. I mean, he wasn't just like meandering or anything like that. He was heading straight at me. You know, like when you can tell somebody's walking towards you, that's what this guy was doing. And nobody else was around. Hey, gang, if you're listening to this right now, odds are you watch videos on the main channel and you've seen how important speed and accuracy are in a gunfight. That's why Active Self-Protection recommends the Range Tech Shot Timer. I'll tell you, it's the lowest cost shot timer on the market that we're aware of. Bluetooth compatible with any Android or iOS device. More features than any other shot timer. You can store all your data on the cloud for free. That's free. Native integration with practice score and a visual light-based go signal. Visit them at rangetechtimer.com. Rangetechtimer.com. And tell them your friends at the Active Self-Protection Podcast sent you. All righty, gang. Welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast. I am once again your host, Mike Williver, and I remain your favorite former Fed. With us today, a new friend of mine, Jeff. Jeff is from Indianapolis. He and I met at the NRA annual meeting not that long ago. Seems like a nice guy. He um, told me there's a story he needs to tell. He needs to tell the world. Uh, happened to him on his way to work. Uh, Jeff is a uh, retired soldier. He was active duty in the United States Army for 16 years, ended his career in the National Guard, and he is now an asset manager for the state of Indiana. Jeff, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for walking up to me. That was one of the reasons that I went to the NRA annual meeting this year. It's my first time was John and Neil and Steph figured uh, there might be some people there who have a story to tell. And sure enough, there were several, and you are one of them. And the first awesome. one from that meeting to, to come on the show. So thank you for that. So tell us, um, outside of the Army, what sort of self-defense history do you have? Uh, are, were you a firearms owner, carrier, um, jiu-jitsu, martial arts, anything like that? Yeah, I, uh, I've owned guns since pretty much the age of 20. Um, I've been in the army, like I, you know, like I mentioned, um, so, and a lot of work with the weapons. I was an infantry soldier before, so I got a lot of weapons training there. And then when I became an officer, it was a, uh, I was an armor officer for the first four years I was there and then switched to MI. So I had a lot of experience with different types of weapons and, you know, going from the 120 millimeter down to the nine millimeter Beretta and, uh, all the, uh, all the fun that's in between. Yeah, we don't recommend the 120 millimeter for everyday carry, folks. Just for the record, it's a little unwieldy. Um, so you mentioned MI. I assume that stands for military intelligence. And if you tell us any more, yeah. do you have to kill me and everyone who's listening? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I worked in uh, Northern England um, at a base called Menwith Hill, um, and it's uh, just to be safe. I won't go any further than that. If sure. you want to look it up, you can. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was. It was a very eye-opening event working there, seeing what's possible and 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 what we do as as well with our allies. So you shared a little story with us pre-interview about um, your lovely wife and the circumstances around your rather sudden wedding. And I think that's probably of interest if you don't mind telling the listeners about that. You yeah, we're planning on getting married, but something uh, made you bump that up and do it a lot faster. What was that? Yeah, it was uh, it was nine uh, eleven. Um, I was on the uh, de deployment ready brigade uh, in First Cavalry Division at the time, and the day that it happened, I just gotten off of PT, and uh, I was getting ready to go back into work, and and all of a sudden, my wife tells me, "Hey, you know, something happened in New York. Come check it out." I saw the second plane hit the towers, and I basically I grabbed my deployment bag, 
And we had, you know, worked in the battalion. We had worked at this. If there's an emergency, you know, I was like, this is definitely an emergency. So I handed my wife, uh, well, my girlfriend at the time, my checkbook, power of attorney. I grabbed my go bag and I said, I will call you when I can. It could be days. And she's like, okay, good luck. Not be careful, but good luck. <laughs> yeah. And so you, you had been planning on, you were engaged. You were planning on getting yeah, married anyway. Yeah, we so were engaged. You had to move yeah. that up. And we wound up, uh, wound up not deploying, but we wound up securing the base and told that we could deploy again. So it ran about September, or no, I'm sorry, December. Uh, we got married on the winter solstice, really. Um, and just to make sure that everything was legal, just in case we did deploy. So. so tell the folks, what, what do you mean when you say, so everything's legal? I know what you mean. Maybe the listeners don't know what you mean. <laughs> so, so, so we were actually husband and wife. Right. So if something happened to you, for example, God forbid. Correct. Yes. It was, you know, she was my wife, not my girlfriend, not my fiance, but she was my wife. So. Right. I got you. Rather, a rather grim thing. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff about the military that people, that the average person probably doesn't know. Um, I, I don't know how many people in the country know someone in the military. I know a ton of people. I grew up in a Navy household. And mm-hmm. then I went, I was a federal agent. I grew up around DC, so obviously. And then I, I was in San Diego for 22 or so years as a federal agent. So probably you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a sailor or a Marine. Um, and the occasional yeah. Army and Air Force. Space Force wasn't a thing back then. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, a ton of military people. And one of those things is like when you're you're going into a combat role, like writing a letter to the people you love and uh, in the event you don't make it back and, you know, filling out a will, that sort of thing that they don't mm-hmm. show that in the recruitment video for any of the nope. branches of service, but it's a real thing. So on behalf of my audience, I want to thank you for your service. I really do appreciate it, and I mean that. And I'm old enough to remember the Vietnam era as a kid and seeing those. Wait a minute. I'm not that old. Yeah, no, I do. I remember. <laughs> uh, I remember. I'm 51. I'm just old enough to remember that disgrace of a time when, uh, when the people that went and did what we asked them to do were terribly disrespected and literally yeah. spit on and assaulted and called baby killers. Yeah. So we, may we never was, go back was, to that. Yeah. My father went through all that, and he, he never, like, uh, one of the things about my father, he, um, he didn't, he, I knew he was in Vietnam, he was in the Air Force, but I never heard any of his stories until after I joined the military, and I asked him that, and he's like, well, you just wouldn't understand, but now you do. Right. You know, now you understand what this all meant, and I, and I, I, there was like a period of like two years, he would call me, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, I just remembered this story and this one's for you. And it was kind of a thing we had between us because, you know, we both wore a uniform, you know, things like, uh, he, he, he told, he told the nurse one time because they were on the other side of the world in the Philippines that you salute with your left hand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and her next stop was the base commander. Yeah. I bet. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. So, yeah, so he lost rank on that, but that was uh, but that was probably his best story of his life. But was it worth it? That's the question, and I think it probably oh, yes. was. He, yeah. He, yeah, yeah, he totally worth it. He said, "Hundred percent." So, for purposes of the story <laughs> you're going to tell us, um, uh, are excuse me, excuse me, uh, are you a CCW holder in the state of Indiana? Is uh, can you tell us about the laws there? What, what do you need to be? Is there a permit process, or is it constitutional carry? What goes on in Indiana as far as that goes? Well, right now, Indiana. Back to you. Indiana yeah. is a constitutional carry, 
state, and uh, I am an instructor. I am uh, I'm I'm an NRA instructor. Have been for about a decade now. Um, I didn't do a whole lot of classes uh, as far as teaching, mostly for the National Guard, because you have to get trained as a National Guard soldier to carry in the state of Indiana. Mm -hmm. So most of my clientele would be my friends are in the National Guard who had to get around, not get around, but get their training done. Um, And then I I joined a a retail establishment, and that's when I did a lot of teaching, and I really loved it. I I loved dealing with the people and uh, dispelling all of the bunk, as it would, as you 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 think about. Yeah. and it was it was funny because you know I would always limit myself to like okay well, telling people the bad things you see uh, every month. Then I had to limit myself to the bad things that I would see every two weeks, and eventually got it down to about a week. And it's just you know because I worked at the, an active gun range, and just the things you know the need for people to be trained. Yeah. And, and you know yeah it, it was very rewarding and it was very scary and. I wound up wearing body armor the whole time I was there. But yeah, public ranges was, scare the crap out of me. Um, yes, and it, it doesn't here in Arizona. There's plenty of like BLM land where you can go out and shoot, but if there's other people, I'm just so weary anymore because it, it's not their fault. They don't know what they don't know. They don't understand. Don't no one's taught them the rules of gun safety. They just think, right? You know, I just get a gun, I go out and I shoot in, in some direction. It's people shooting with no berm behind it, behind what they're shooting at, and and just in different yeah. directions. And it's like a, as as John would say, it's like a Taliban quinceanera sometimes. So um, I try to find a place to shoot. Me and my son, were, or or with John, where it's safe and we can be not around too many members of what Ron White would call the public. So <laughs> yeah. your story uh, happened on your way to work one day. So you work. Um, not in the Capitol building, but uh, thereabouts in, in that sort of annex of, of buildings. And you were on your way yes, to work. Kind of yes. walk us through what time of day it was, what you saw, and what happened. Okay, so um, I get to work uh, a little bit before 7 in the morning. And I, you know, usually at my desk at 7. Um, in, in that time frame between you know 6.45 to 7, I'm usually at the parking garage, parking my truck inside, and then walking into the annex where I work, um, and it was it was just another day until I started noticing this guy. Um, he just had this glare of, and it was at me. I had no idea what he wanted. I had no. He didn't say anything to me, but he just to me it just didn't seem right. Something like I don't know what it was, but I just got this feeling like you know Jeff, this ain't right. It's, you know, it's time to start doing what you've been practicing. So which, this guy, where is this? This happens in the garage or between the garage and your building? Yeah, in the garage. It okay. started in the garage, um, uh, probably about uh, 40 feet or so from my truck. And he was about 50 feet further from me, heading my way at a pretty good clip. I mean, he wasn't just like meandering or anything like that. He was heading straight at me, you know, like when you can tell somebody's walking towards you. That's what this guy was doing, and nobody else was around. With a purpose, I think is what you're you're saying. Yeah, you know what that purpose, purpose is. Yeah. Describe this guy for us. Is he an older guy, younger guy? Does he look homeless he or was, crazy or what? He, he he definitely looked homeless. He was a very 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 slight man. Um, I, I would call him uh, a meth head, um, or because I did call him a meth head. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, about five seven, five eight. He had a green hoodie on, 
uh, very baggy pants. Um, I didn't look at the shoes. Um, but you know, he just had that, you know, the big thing I remember is that glare that he had the, the hungry, you know, his eyes looked a little sunken back and that kind of thing. And he looked like he was either, well, I didn't know what he wanted. That's you know what he was up to, but it, he didn't get the chance to ask me for money or try to take my car or my wallet or whatever. So was there anything in his hands? Could you tell? No, he, well, he had his, his right hand, which I'm going to guess was his dominant hand because, you know, the percentages say that, um, was in his, was actually in his front hoodie pocket. His other hand was just at the side. Mm. Okay. So I don't know. He never pulled anything out, but yeah. So he's, he's walking toward, you say he never got a chance to ask you for anything. So he's walking towards you. What do you do? Well, I, I instantly, once I decide that he's going, he's doing something that's not out of the normal or that is out of the normal. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, I, I take a couple steps back, kind of widen my stance, pull my knife out, drop it at my, my right hand or drop it on my right hand and let him know that I got it out and I'm ready to go. That kind of thing. So it's not, it's not like, you know, a, well, yeah, that's what it was. I mean, yeah, I was like, you know, it's not your, it's, you're not coming up to me to do anything that I ain't ready for is kind of the stance I took. Okay. So a ready stance is what you'd call it, maybe. So I'm sure the audience is screaming into their smartphones and tablets, why, why weren't you carrying a firearm? I assume that's because you're going to work at a, at a state building. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, you can have a firearm in your vehicle. It's a, it's a state complex or a state parking garage run by the state. Um, so I can't carry from there across to the actual building and keep it in there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm taking steps to fix that part right now. So, uh, the problem I have with those sorts of policies is at the very least, they should offer you a, a gun locker at the front door at security or somewhere to stow it, yes. uh, with a key that only you have, because obviously leaving it in your car, even, you know, even in a safe, you know, if someone sees you putting that away, they've got all day while you're at work. They know you're at work. There's no other reason to be parked there. They got all day to get in there and get to work on that safe to get it removed. I mean, th- there was a federal agent, I won't say what agency, in San Diego who had his entire, we call him G-Rides, his his undercover police car, stolen um, while he was at uh, official business at an event. And he was a member of the that agency's uh, SWAT team. So... These so these knuckleheads, the these knuckleheads got like an M4 sniper rifle, all the stuff. He's on call, so he has to have this stuff with him, you know. So that's just mm-hmm. that that is what it is. Now it's all in lock boxes that are hard mounted to the frame of the vehicle, but you know, tweakers tweakers are going to tweak, and they staked this place out, stole his vehicle, and they they found. Fortunately, they found them out in um out in the countryside, you know, getting after it with blow torches and. And uh, all sorts of uh, song if we're trying to get into it. They didn't get into it, but if they had, it would could have been a very bad day. There was all flashbangs, you name it, in there. Yeah. So you know we don't we don't encourage leaving a gun in your vehicle if it's if it's at all um, uh, at all avoidable. I know sometimes yeah. it's not. I would highly recommend if you're going to do that, find a way. I mean, first of all, why are we handling guns unnecessarily in public, right? I mean, that's that if that can be avoided, it should be avoided. But if you have to. I recommend finding an isolated spot near where you're going to be, not at the place you're going. So stop, you know, two minutes before and find an isolated place to um, put your gun in a, in a locker or whatever. Take a couple drives around the block to make sure no one's watching you and then go park. Because 
it could be a crime of opportunity. Now, let's say this was different and you were walking in there and didn't see this guy. He's eyeballing you out of the darkness and sees you get out, draw a firearm out, put it in a safe, and knows you're going to work for eight hours. That's a bad day. He's going to almost certainly going to try to get in there and, and yeah. get to it. So, um, yeah, and, I, and I've had relatives actually lose multiple firearms, so multiple different times that would keep a, a firearm either in their console, their glove box, or whatever. And, you know, they've wound, they've wound up just going out, going away, and you know whoever's got it now has got it now. And it's not just it's not just private citizens. Cops get guns stolen out of their cars all the time. Um, it, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know how widely reported it is, but um, most most times that guns are 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 mis or excuse me misappropriated or, or lost or whatever, it's out of a vehicle. Uh, there's always the one guy who uses a public restroom and hangs it by the trigger guard of the hook in the back of the door and forgets it's there. That happens or leaves it in the lavatory of an airliner. <clears throat> that happened to me. Um, I mean, I, I discovered, I actually discovered my bosses. I didn't, it was my first, it was my fourth day at work. This is at a different facility. Uh-huh. And I found a, a mini, uh, a mini Springfield on the uh, dis- toilet, toilet paper dispenser. And it turns out that it was my, not my direct supervisor, but my next level supervisor who should have known better. But his only excuse was I was taking a crap. Yeah, uh, it, it, it can happen. Um, the only thing I've ever forgotten in a bathroom stall is my phone. And that was terrifying. I can't imagine the realization that you've walked away from a loaded firearm. Uh, cannot be a good yeah. feeling. So, so and I was I, I was more surprised that he was just so nonchalant, nonchalant about it. Oh, once once it was found, he was just like, "Oh yeah, thanks." I yeah. forgot that. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So this guy's coming towards you. You you decide to to draw a knife. Was it a fixed blade or a folding knife? It was a folding uh, Spyderco with a uh, half serrated, half uh, half straight blade. He you hold it down to your side. Do you say anything, or do you just look at him and he decides not not today? I didn't say anything to him, um, but. You know the 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 eye to eye contact was there, and I'm sure he knew that it wasn't it wasn't my turn to be a victim. Right. Um. I made sure that you know I I kept going as much as I could without um letting him any closer uh to me. Basically, I tried to keep a distance, and then once I was able to, there's a small hallway that you have to go through where the office is to where I have to go to work, and of, and of course nobody was in the office. Um, at, at that time, but, uh, yeah, so he kept coming and I, you know, I, as I would go through the parking structure, I would stop at certain places and just stand there. And I'm like five or six car lengths away at this point, mm-hmm. And he's on the other side, almost of the parking structure. And I'm staring at him. You know, I put my, I, I kind of put my knife away, like just so I didn't scare anybody else. Right. But, um, I was just staring at him and he just kept coming. I mean, he would, he would stop after the hallway and then just kind of meander left and right kind of thing. And I'm just like, okay, he knows that I'm now he knows that I'm watching him. And I did it another time. I actually went, I got through the parking structure, got across the street to where I was going to work, literally steps from the security door. And he follows me out. He's at, he's at the outer door for the parking structure yeah. in public. I'm across the street staring at him and he does the same thing. He looks at me kind of meanders around, but he's still looking at me. And then he finally goes off around the corner of the building to do whatever he does. And by that time I was, I just kind of took, didn't, I took my time and went into the building and then reported it as best I could at the, at the time. So 
let's talk about uh, other options. So if you're out in public and something like this goes down and the other person doesn't appear to be armed, or at least they, you can't say for sure they're armed, I'm a huge fan of OC spray for this reason. Yeah. Um, because your liability is a thousand times less if you have to spray someone. If you spray someone in error, you know, who, who it turns out wasn't trying to hurt you or rob you, you're looking at a very, very, maybe very mild assault charge or a law or a very mild lawsuit, which sucks. But, you know, if you have if you if you have to stab someone, first of all, it's messy, it's ugly and it's very personal, very personal. And we try to avoid it, obviously. But that's what you had on you at the time. You know, that's you, you yeah. used, you know, the people say, what's the best gun for a gunfight? Well, the one you have with you, uh, the one you have on you um, is, more, is the most important part is having it with you. You couldn't have your gun for reasons we already went over. So that's the next best thing. But people listening. Um, I'm not saying don't carry a knife. I'm saying do carry pepper spray for this exact sort of thing. Now, it may not have dissuaded him as much as a knife did, um, but it's something that you would be a lot, a lot I think, a lot more readily um, willing to use than a knife um, if, it, if it came down to it. That's just the average person. I'm talking about you necessarily, Jeff. Oh, yeah. No, it, honestly, it wouldn't have been me, uh, you know, maybe as, as recently as three months ago. Um and that's what I said in the original email, you know, I owe you guys debt of gratitude because, you know, you, in some of your videos, you're talking about your open hand skills and, and, you know, knowing how to defend yourself. And and for the longest time, since I left the army, you know, I, I, I just got complacent and I kind of broke out of that, you know, thinking about that, thinking about what's going on in the world today and, you know, seeing all the, the riots as close to, as close to my house as downtown Indianapolis kind of, you know, it's like, Oh, sh-, you know, you know, this isn't what I want to, this isn't what I signed up for. So, you know, getting out of that funk and making sure, you know, not only did I have a knife or I had some way to defend myself, but I knew how to do it again. Right. You know, the instructor in me, you know, going through and saying that, Hey, these guys, you know, going back to the people that I know didn't know how to use a gun, you know, and I don't know. I didn't know how to use a knife. I, I knew what the knives can do because, you know, I've been trained from the military with it. But have I ever used it to actually stab something? Well, yeah, a couple times, but more recently now. And this was, you know, like I was getting some uh, uh, some Krav Maga training at a, in, in my local hometown. And they were t- talking about using knives and getting into the stances, the stance that I used. And, you know, I, I, I basically, I turned him back and, and my brother, you know, I told my brother about it and he was like, dude, he picked the wrong guy. <laughs> so you, you, do you feel like, before we talk about what happened afterwards, do you feel like had you not had that and had you not postured the way you did that he would have tried to assault you, rob you, whatever, did you get a definite feeling about that? You know, I can't say for sure, but the feeling that I've got, I've never had before. I've never, I've never had, you know, being in, um, I, I've been literally around the world for the army, uh, not as a military intelligence officer. Um, and I've never had problems being accosted or anything like that, but this was different. This, th- this woke me up, you know, more than a pot of coffee. I was just, you know, adrenaline instantly dropped and I was just like, you know, what the, you know, what's going on? Okay. Right. Let's get ready to go. That kind of thing. And it's, you know, 
Yeah, I I know that there will be there are always second guessers. You, you say words on the internet, and people say words back. You know that's what I like to say to John about the comment section of some of our videos. And um, so there'll be people like, well, wait a minute, you know, he wasn't, you know, you couldn't tell he was armed and you pulled a knife and aren't you really the aggressor? Well, you know, you weren't there. Um, and if you yeah. were there, you, you, you would get that palpable sense of uh, the Jeff got of what was what was going on and potentially about to happen. So um, I will leave. Those armchair rangers, they, they, got, they got a lot to say, but they got no way to prove it. Yeah. Um, so with that said, you you weren't sure if, if the knife had its intended effect, but it certainly didn't hurt for you to at least acknowledge him like, Hey, I see you. You're not sneaking yeah. up on me for sure. That's a huge one. Um, I'm even a fan of, of, uh, of shouting like, Hey, how you doing? You know, after someone just like a, I see you, I see that you're there. I see that you're walking towards me frequently. That's yeah. all, it, all it takes. So now you get inside finally and maybe next time. Yeah. You get inside finally. And I assume there's security or Capitol police or someone that you spoke to about this <laughs> and what happened then? Or, or, or am I wrong? Uh, well, they were on, apparently there were, there were only two of them, uh, that I, when I looked on the website and they were on vacation. What? So there were, I, I actually, after calling and walk, I went up to the actual front security location and asked them, I was like, Hey, where's the Capitol police hangout? I had, you had something happen in the parking lot. Oh, well, they're not here. They're shorthanded. And, uh. They don't normally get in, you know, till nine anyways. And, uh, okay. Wow. That's shocking. Um, and then I, I actually sent a report to the chief who was, he was the, he was on vacation and the one other guy that was an officer, I was told it was on vacation. Um, it wound up the, the actual incident got reported. It was kind of like just an, like an HR employee survey. That w- that happened the next month, and uh, I I said, hey, you know, I had this ha- incident happen. I took care of it myself, but I've talked to everybody in my office. They say this is not a lone incident. Hmm. We've had like homeless people on the escalators, just sitting down, chilling, and it you know requires somebody to get them out to get them out, and it's just amazing to me that that is the case. Or was the case? I don't. I'm assuming. Hopefully, they're fixing it, but I don't know that for sure. Yeah, you would certainly hope they'd at least have, at least have security guards or somebody on site. But uh, okay, right. interesting. So, yeah. did you get any sort of response from the chief or anyone with Capitol Police or security about that? Did they get back to you and go, "Sorry, nope. that happened. Here's what we're doing." Anything? Nope, had absolutely nothing. Uh, the email never got answered. Um, the like I said, the HR the HR lady that I spoke to with the employee survey, I did get answers and you know the typical response. We're taking necessary steps to protect all of our employees, uh-huh. both inside the building and out, kind of thing. And I'm like, no, you're not. I take it's, it from it's your. It's just like. No, I say I, I take what? it from your mocking tone that that's you don't believe a word of that. Oh no, I'm I'm a I'm a very cynical person. Um, I, my wife was my wife was actually accosted in a. Uh, big box store parking lot with the security cameras uh-huh. um, at, you know, rocking the uh, 320p mm-hmm. with uh, their, their pixels, you know, and, uh, yes. you know, it's, uh, you know, she literally was dragged with a child in her, in her hand. She, um, by her purse. That's what the guy was going for. Right. And the only thing we got back out of it was her driver's license they found in a uh, uh, mailbox over on the eastern side. We live on the west side. It was on the eastern side of town. 
Yeah, we talk so. about transitional spaces a lot on the main channel, and that's that's exactly where she was when that when that went down. Maybe she should be on the show. Um, so, so with all that said, was there anything about this story that you wanted to reiterate or tell that we haven't talked about already? You know, not really. Just for the people listening, you know, you're, I, I would say, and, and as an instructor, I would say this in my classes: if you're ready to do the training, do the time, do it, do your own training. It doesn't even have to be paying some instructor. You know, YouTube is a great tool. You can learn how to do self-protection. You know, it's just, you know, there's, there's simple stuff you could do just to actually take a better, a better hold of your life. Um, you know, that, that's what, you know, you guys, you know, like I said, I owe you guys a debt of gratitude for, for that, because if he did have anything in that pocket, and was and if I wasn't you know somewhat ready, I mean I understand you pull a knife you're going to get cut, you know that's the that's one of the things they taught us you know you pull a knife, and a knife fight, just be ready to be cut. Mm-hmm. But I would have been at home that night with the wife and the kids, and you know telling them you know to get off the computer and whatever you know normal stuff right. as opposed to lying on a floor uh, you know a cold mat somewhere. Um, so you know I don't. I just take my story if you can and, and hopefully glean something from it that'll help you guys out later in life or during the rest of your life. Yeah, I, I would I would highly recommend if you can't or don't want to carry a firearm, I cannot recommend pepper spray enough. You know, Palm Peace of Mind Pepper Spray is one of our sponsors. And it, it is you think about the potential threats in in your environment, in your world. Uh, the 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 odds of needing and using a firearm, although I highly recommend training with one and carrying one, but the odds of needing one and using one are so much slimmer than the the possibility of something that could be solved with OC spray. Um, very yes. quickly, we've had you know we've had people on our show. We had a guy who was at church and somebody tried to break into the nursery and, and kidnap his uh, his kid for whom he didn't have custody. He ended that with pepper spray. We had one of our um, ASP employees, Soleil Roche, on the show. A couple of years ago, uh, with a story of being out in public and running into a very angry homeless person who was having a mental mm-hmm. break, someone she'd interacted with before and seen and given you know food and clothes to in the past through her church, and this guy was just having a bad day and decided to run at her and her kids, and she was able to deploy palm pepper spray and that threat uh, really before it really materialized. So that would be yeah. my big lesson out of this. One thing that Jeff demonstrated that I really love is just. You know, you can call it situational awareness. You can you can call it paying attention to your surroundings. I sound like Donald Trump. Some people call it situational awareness. I call it looking around. So being at, being aware of what's going on around you and, and intercepting a potential threat before it gets so close that you can't do anything about it. Um, if you're out in a transitional space, especially so parking garage, parking lot, anywhere like that, um, just pay attention. You don't have to be paranoid. Just have a look around. Don't have your head buried yeah. in your phone. Don't be playing Angry Birds or looking at Facebook or whatever out in a public space. And by the way, I know we have a lot of cops who listen. That goes double for you. I, I was in Phoenix not long ago and I was at a pizza place and there was a couple of young um, PD officers there waiting for their food. And they're both both had their heads buried in their phone. And I wanted to go over and tap them on the shoulder and go, man, you're going to get killed. You know, you're, you're not going to be you're not going to mm-hmm. see the bad guy coming. Not to get off on a rant, but there was a coffee shop near Seattle, Washington, uh, many years ago where four officers were, four or five officers were having coffee and having a quick meeting or whatever. Guy walked in and shot and killed, I believe, four of them. Um, 
because they, they were so distracted and not aware of their surroundings. So it can happen to them. It can happen to you. So pay attention to your surroundings, folks. Jeff, I want to thank you so much for, for walking up to me at the NRA meeting and introducing yourself and being willing to come tell your story. If it weren't for people like Jeff, there wouldn't be a show. Because as I like to say, no one wants to listen to me talk to myself for an hour. So Jeff, thanks again. Thank you. And like I said, thanks to you and John. I mean, like and I said in my email, you guys are ever in Indiana and just need something. Give me a holler. Well, I feel like I owe you guys a debt. We'll probably be back there at some point for an NRA meeting. I think it's there every four or five years or something like that. So definitely look you up when we come back. I'll, I'll probably be here. Right on. Hopefully thanks. on the top side of the grass. <laughs> yes, sir. God willing. Thanks, Jeff. All righty, gang. Welcome back to the Gutowski File, starring, who settled on starring, Stephen Gutowski. He is the owner, excuse me, the founder of TheReload.com, probably the owner as well, and the host of the Weekly Reload podcast. So speaking of the Weekly Reload podcast, Stephen, who was on the most recent episode of the Weekly Reload podcast? Is this recording? Yes. <laughs> it doesn't say it's recording. No, no, I'm, it's audio only. I'm just doing the audio version. Oh, well, I've already ruined the show now. <laughs> we, should, we should stick with this and show, show the people how the sausage is made. Oh, my gosh. So this We're is actually, this is actually, this is wildly appropriate of the, of hopefully the last ever audio only version of this show. Uh, we're going to leave that in, folks. We're going to leave it in. You're going to see the raw truth behind our genuine ineptness <laughs> at, at our jobs. So. Uh, Steven's asking that yes, because this we're, week we're we're we're, this, we're, we're working on this uh, this new video service that Stephen recommended to me, which is really really quite good. And uh, yeah. so he didn't see it recording on the screen, but it's it's recording, I promise. So who was on your show this week? <laughs> <laughs> this week we had uh, Dave Copel. He's a scholar at the Independence Institute, he, uh, which is based in Colorado, and we had him on to talk about. Assault weapons bans, you know, AR-15 bans, bans on guns like the AR-15, obviously, is sort of a nebulous term. But Colorado tried and failed to pass one this year. So he gave us some insight into the -the on-the-ground politics of that. Mm -hmm. And then he's he's an academic, a scholar. He writes a lot of books and briefs on gun rights. And so he gave us also the legal breakdown of how these assault weapons bans are faring throughout the country. And in the federal courts. Very good. So that actually takes us nicely into uh, into our story of the week from the reload.com. Uh, the title is, or the headline is, Supreme Court Requests Brief in Case Against Illinois Towns Assault Weapons Ban. That's a complicated headline, if I do say so myself. Mm. Um, but my understanding is uh, this town, Napierville, Illinois, um, has has passed a local like town ordinance or city ordinance banning the sale of AR-15 and similar firearms. So uh, they're going to have to defend that before the Supreme Court. Talk to us about that, Stephen. Yes. So there is a lawsuit against this city ban on the sale of AR-15s. It also has a, there's like a registration scheme coupled with that as well. But it has been challenged by the the National uh, Association for Gun Rights is the group behind this challenge. And they have failed to secure a preliminary injunction in the district court and the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals didn't grant an injunction pending appeal. So they skipped right on up to the Supreme Court and are asking for an emergency injunction against this city ordinance from the high court itself now. And which is not an entirely uncommon thing. You know, the Supreme Court gets a lot of these sorts of Please, 
through the course of a, a session. And the notable thing here is that at, uh, Ju Justice Amy Coney Barrett has requested that the town, Naperville, submit a brief defending its law against this challenge, which mm -hmm. is not something that they do with every one of these briefs. Usually, most of them, uh, they go unanswered. You know, the court doesn't order any sort of briefing to be done, and they effectively get denied. This indicates that at least one judge on the Supreme Court wants to hear more about this case before the, the court decides what to do, whether or not to intervene. So that's pretty significant. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think I learned a new thing today because in the article you say Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who oversees the circuit in the case. I, I don't think I knew. So is, is there a justice assigned to each um, each district? I don't think I knew that. Yes. Or that, each circuit. That's, that's right. That's how it works. I There's learned a thing. Each justice is assigned to oversee certain circuits. And so it's sort of an administrative role that they have when, you know, the, these sort of procedural requests are made and, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting to see how that works. It doesn't necessarily mean that Amy Coney Barrett is the one who wants to see a brief in this case. Um, yeah, there's a lot about the Supreme court's inner workings that we just don't know, right? There's, there's a lot of it that is still is kept secret and that isn't disclosed to the public. Uh, so, but we know, we know a number of things, right? It's not a total black box there. For instance, when they decide to take a case uh, and hear it on the merits, that requires at least uh, four justices to mm -hmm. do. So, uh, you know, if, if you appeal, you're, you lose at the lower court and you appeal to the Supreme courts, you got to get four justices that say, yes, we want to hear this case. We want to accept this case and make a decision. Whereas on these sort of emergency procedures where you're, you know, in this case, you're trying to block a law before it goes into effect and you're claiming that, you know, your, your constitutional rights are being violated uh, and this is the only remedy for an emergency, you know, injunction while the, the merits of the case are heard uh, later on. Uh, you only need one judge to request a brief in the case to request that, you know, each party submits their arguments um, before the court decides what they're going to do. And so that that's what we're seeing here. We saw this uh, not too long ago as well in um, these Bruin response laws that mm -hmm. were passed in New York that we've talked a lot about on the show. So um, there was an emergency request made in one of those cases uh, and the justices wanted to see, you know, briefings from New York and ultimately they decided not to intervene in that case, but you, that's where you saw the, there was a concurrence from, uh, I believe it was Alito mm -hmm. that implied that the, they want to see the second circuit in, in that case, the New York case uh, move quickly on the issue uh, or else they might, go ahead and uh, grant an emergency injunction. Because one thing to remember here too is like the Supreme Court is not necessarily trying to jump into every case as soon as it possibly can. Yeah, they can. Plus they, they like can't. To, I mean, they don't have the time. It's just, a you know, among other factors, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. They can only take so many cases. They can only grant so many emergency injunctions. 
uh, each year. Uh, and it's a, there's only nine people on the Supreme Court, so there's a limited there's a limit to what they can do. And they like to uh, see the lower courts develop cases before they get up to the Supreme Court. Sure. Right? They don't want to they don't want to be the first ones to hear arguments in a case most of the time. And they also don't want to necessarily step on the toes of the lower courts if they don't have to, they don't feel like they have to do it. Right. They, they like to let the circuits run themselves until you get to a point where they have to intervene. Like that's why circuit splits. If you know, when people talk about Supreme court circuit splits are always so important. Uh, and that's because the court is really there to resolve these, uh, these instances where the lower courts aren't on the same page. Somebody has to, say, well, one of you, one side is right and the other is wrong. Right. You can't have uh, circuits be in conflict with each other forever. Yeah. And the problem there is for, for me anyway, uh, I, I worked primarily in the ninth district or the ninth circuit rather most of my career in Southern California and Arizona and everyone, it's kind of uh, infamous for having uh, sort of far out, uh, far out rulings and decisions on things. Um, but you know, an agent working in California or Oregon or Washington or Arizona or other places has to know what the rules are in the ninth circuit that are different than other places. Sometimes that's something as simple as how long do I have after I arrest someone to bring them before a magistrate judge, um, for an initial appearance, stuff like that, but not to get too far in the weeds. But what, what bothers me sometimes is there's a very different culture in, places in the ninth circuit than there is in the third or the second, you know, it's a different part of the country. And so, um, but the fact of the matter is at the end of the day, you know, you can't have different federal law in different parts of the country. It just right. doesn't work. It has to be consistent. So you write in the article over at the reload, um, the move, this move may indicate the court is getting closer to taking up a case against so-called assault weapons bans after it handed down the new, uh, test case for guns, the New York, um, New York, State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. So do, do we think they are trying to work to a point where they can settle the idea once and for all of, of, of cities and states trying to ban a particular kind of gun? Is it something they're, you think they're trying to get to? I think so. This is another indicator that, that they may be closer to intervening in one of these assault weapons ban cases. Uh, you already had an indicator after Bruin where, you know, the court, after it decided that case and it handed down this new test for how to decide other gun cases going forward, it took a number of cases and did what's commonly referred to as GBR them, which means they granted them, they vacated the lower court's ruling, and then they remanded them back down to the lower court to redo the case in, uh, in light of their new test. And one of those cases was the, Maryland assault weapons ban case mm -hmm. in the fourth circuit where the fourth circuit had upheld Maryland's assault weapons ban. And so the court was saying, all right, uh, try this one again, but do it under our new standard. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that they think the assault weapons bans are unconstitutional, but it, it it's, I think it's a decent indicator that they think that uh, certainly you have probably at least Four justices, you know, Thomas, uh, Alito, um, uh, you know, Barrett, Barrett and, yeah. and um, Kavanaugh, who have all come out, uh, from what I recall, uh, on, on this issue already. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see 
if and when they do take up a case like this. I mean, this this Illinois case is is pretty distinct because you know you're dealing with an emergency injunction instead of a regular appeal. So um, even if they do issue the emergency injunction, it technically wouldn't be a ruling on the merits mm-hmm. necessarily. Uh, it would just be uh, a ruling that the law should be blocked until you get to the merits, until you get to a merits ruling by one of these lower courts. Uh, but, you know, even it's like a, a lot of times in preliminary injunction cases, right, uh, where this is the courts always say it's likely that this that this law is unconstitutional. And really, in practice, that means this law is unconstitutional. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, I, you know, I try to be careful about the language of it because technically, when, uh, for instance, this Illinois had passed a statewide ban in the, you know, in the the years after this city ban had gone into a, uh, into law, and that was just in, preliminarily enjoined last Friday, uh, and again in that ruling, it technically is not a ruling on the merits. It's it's a ruling that this law can't be enforced while we go through the rest of this court proceeding. But the standard for issuing a preliminary injunction is very high, and it includes the idea that you are likely to win when they get to the merits stage. So it, it's one of these legal nuances where it's like, Technically, they're not ruling that the law is unconstitutional. They're just ruling that it's very likely to be unconstitutional uh, once they get through the full case. So that's a similar idea here, where the, the court could issue an emergency injunction blocking enforcement of this, this city ban. And technically, it wouldn't be saying that the law is unconstitutional, but it would probably it would be saying effectively <laughs> that it is. So, um, you know, that's, that's where you have to sort of remember how the, the court system actually works um, and and where you get these indicators where it's, they're not technically, they're not technically saying that Maryland's assault weapons ban is unconstitutional and that the, the decision upholding it was wrong when they granted vacated and remanded that case. But it's hard to read that as them saying it's, it's not unconstitutional or that they don't have a significant problem with it. You know, at the very, very best for Maryland, they're saying we want to see how this law holds up under our new standard, mm-hmm. right? And um, you know, so uh, that combined with this interest in at least hearing out both sides of this particular case in relatively early stages of it, uh, just you know, you put those indicators together, you're kind of trying to read tea leaves or read entrails right but that's that's where the direction it takes me in is that the court is very interested in addressing this issue at some point so i I guess i guess the next headline over at the reload could be supreme court and then open quotes i'm not saying i'm just saying close quote so that needs to be that's a good way yeah that needs to be over there at some point speaking of the reload folks I don't know if you've heard, but Mr. Gutowski uh, has his very own website and podcast, and it's at thereload.com. I highly recommend you go over there and check it out. It's all good stuff. It is uh, it is the stories you're just not getting other places. He is breaking stories with some frequency. He has a lot of uh, a lot of people in powerful places that give him information you don't get uh, other places, and it's it's sane and it's sober. That 
I don't really want to reinforce that. That's that's the reason I love Stephen and I love his website because it is sane, sober, down the middle. Uh, doesn't take sides. Doesn't doesn't get unnecessarily political. He just reports the facts and gives you the stories you're not going to hear anywhere else. So please go over to thereload.com and carefully consider giving him a couple of your dollars to help continue his important work, Stephen. As always, I will see you next week. And you, sir, have the last word. Absolutely.